Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chirletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Boston is Andrea Falcioni. Andrea is Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer and Head of Advisory Services for Rethink Compliance. And today we're going to be talking about institutional justice. It's a topic she addressed in her article, Fostering a Speak-Up Culture, a Practical Primer for Compliance and Ethics Professional Magazine. Andrea, thank you for joining us. And let's talk about institutional justice. You cited a few values that were very important. And the first value you cited is respect. In many ways, it's the most obvious one, but it can be the most difficult one, especially when there's an issue going on. How do we get there? Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, and 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 I think it's funny because when I was prepping for our discussion, I, I honestly feel like this one should be the easiest, Adam, right? So to your point, this feels like it shouldn't be that hard. Um, from my perspective, part of being a successful compliance professional is demonstrating compassion kind of in all that you do. So whether you're communicating with a reporter, the person who's the, the subject of the report or a witness, like we're, you're dealing with human beings, fallible, emotional human beings who make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Um, and, and it, you know, the other thing is making a reporter sort of otherwise being involved in an investigation is super stressful. So it only makes sense from, I think, to, to recognize that and show empathy to people. Um, and, and the other thing is there's a lot of payoffs to treating people with respect throughout the process. And, and I'm going to share a little story, um, if you don't mind. I tend to share the story a lot. Yeah, I tend to share the story a lot, but I think it's a, a good illustration of this. So, and, and, I don't, you know, and it will get to the what's the payoff. So when I, I was at PwC, um, I led a consulting practice before joining Rethink Compliance. And um, I made two compliance-related mistakes while I was there, which is mortifying, given that I'm a compliance professional. Um, but I, too, am a human being, and I also make mistakes. Um, they were not intentional. They were policy violations. One was a very, um, you know, had to do with independence. And quite frankly, it was my husband who who, who um, caused me to violate the policy. And the other one was, uh, you know, a simple email mistake um, that anyone could make because um, I was moving too fast. And in both cases, I self-reported. Um, and so the, all of what we're going to talk about today is relevant, whether um, it's somebody who's self-reporting an issue or somebody who's bringing, you know, a, a, an allegation forward. And I, and I was really really, really upset. I mean, really, like there was, there were tears. Like I was really upset in both of these instances. Um, and I was treated so fairly and with such respect that what ultimately ended up happening is I became a, a, like kind of an, an unwitting, not unwilling, but an unwitting ambassador for the PwC compliance program. So when people would come to me with issues or concerns, I would say to them, listen, this was my experience. I, you know, I called the hotline. I spoke with our compliance team. Um, I was treated really, really fairly and with respect. I would encourage you to go ahead and, and reach out to them as well. Um, and so, 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 and that, and the whole reason why I became that ambassador, if you will, is because I, I was treated fairly and I, and I, and I felt good about the outcome. The outcomes, by the way, were fine in both cases, thankfully. Um, so anyway, so, so that's my, that's my thought about respect. I just feel like, wow, this shouldn't be that hard. No, and it's a great story because it shows that if you treat people with respect, 
you know, especially when there are sort of minor transgressions involved, it leads to, like you say, you create advocates and it makes people feel comfortable when they see something wrong that's more serious that they can either come forward or for themselves or to report on something else to know it will be dealt with properly. Now, you, you, in that article, you cite another interesting uh, value, which is one that you call voice. Uh, can you share what that means in practice? Sure. Yeah. So I really think that voice translates into giving people an opportunity to tell their story um, and all, and also to practice. It's about practicing um, active listening. And that literally is a skill that takes practice, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, so in terms of the active listening, regardless of the circumstance, and again, who you're talking to, what you're talking about, remember to show interest, make good eye to contact, ask open-ended questions so that helps draw out people's story um, and helps them helps them um, uh, use their voice if you will reflect back on what the person has said um, and i feel like a lot of times we all and this is true of most of us we all want to respond immediately when somebody says something in fact oftentimes even interrupting rather than really listening and then the other part of, of giving people their voice is it's really important to withhold judgment until you've gathered all the facts when you're dealing with a speak up situation. Um, and that can be hard. Um, investigators and the other people who are involved in, in reporting and, and in the disciplinary process, they're also fallible human beings who will make mistakes. Um, but I really think we all have to th consider, did we give everybody the opportunity in this situation to tell their story? Well, and that leads into another value you talk about is neutrality. Um, it's something we're all for in theory, you know, the idea of blind justice, we don't go in with predisposition, but the practice gets difficult. How do we ensure that justice is neutral, even when that's hard because say a beloved colleague or a high performer is involved? Yeah, this one is the, I feel like one of the hardest. Um, so, and, and I, I also, as I was thinking about this one, to me, this one is an offshoot of kind of the classic conflict of, of interest. And you mentioned, you know, the, the, the beloved colleague, high performer. I'll talk a little bit about that also. Conflicts of interest are actually pretty easy to identify unless it's your conflict. That's when it gets hard. Um, and it gets complicated because your judgment is clouded. And I've really seen that dynamic, honestly, with people who I'm really close with, really great people who are otherwise very trustworthy and have a lot of integrity, but they just kind of can't see through that, you know, that clouded judgment. Um, so I think one way to combat the, the difficulty with neutrality is to make sure you're involving a mix of people in the process. Um, so po folks with different backgrounds, different experience, and quite frankly, different alliances within the organization. There's nothing worse than sort of that homogeneous group that's, you know, that's, that's in charge of something. Um, and then those people that, 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 um, you know, that, that uh, uh, mix of people, they have to be empowered to kind of throw the yellow flag, right? And to say, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like, this doesn't feel like what we're doing is the right thing and challenge their colleagues when they don't seem to be neutral um, in either their actions or their decision making in these areas. Um, and then I'll go back to the high performer thing for a minute. Um, that's absolutely a thing. I know we talk about that a lot, but like I've seen that in action at a prior employer. I did actually stop it in this case um, a, a bit later than I would have liked and I had to fight people senior to me because you know this was the best salesperson we had um and, and you know and fighting that fight can be really hard 
Um, so, you know, neutrality, I think, requires introspection and it certainly requires courage because, you, again, you have to, to feel comfortable and allow people to raise their hand and say, hold on a second. And ho saying hold on a second is often as hard to do as uh, not going the other way, which is, ru you know, rushing to judgment. Now, Absolutely. Um, the, f the, the fourth element you talk about is transparency. We've made great progress, I think, in this regard. I remember when it was a revolutionary idea to even share internally stories about compliance issues that really happened in the organization. Now it's pretty common, but there's still much that's opaque when it comes to institutional justice, particularly around the investigation process. How do we find the right balance? Yeah, yeah, I can recall a lot of instances in my practice where clients would say, what, we can't share anonymized stories? And you are absolutely right, Adam, that certainly has changed, although I will note it has not changed everywhere. Um, and yet the DOJ and other regulators are super clear on this topic. They absolutely expect transparency. Um, and as I was thinking about this, you know, I realized, okay, so the 2020 memo that the DOJ issued was under a Republican administration and they addressed transparency. And then they, when they, and then they expanded on this topic in 2023 under the current administration. So that makes me think, hmm, this isn't, this topic is not going anywhere. Um, there's two elements of transparency to consider. One is transparency as to process. Um, that's the easier one. There's some good examples out there in codes of conduct and whistleblower policies um, of you know flowcharts and 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 things like what to expect when you make a uh, when you make a report. Um, and, and I do think companies can do more than that though, like communication campaigns, job aids, training, stuff like that. Um, my biggest issue and concern is the transparency as to as to outcome, which most organizations are still not doing. Um, they, most companies will not go past the standard, you know, we've investigated your report and we've taken appropriate action. And that's just ultimately super unsatisfactory to reporters. It feels to them like their report wasn't taken seriously, like the organization didn't do anything about it. Um, and that's why you always see fear of retaliation, number one, for why people don't report. And number two is because they think the company won't do anything um, because they're not getting any information at all. Um, in my opinion, employment lawyers and HR just have too much power at a lot of companies. They scare their employers into keeping mum by sort of peddling a fear of litigation, which is admittedly a risk. Um, but I do think there's a lot more that companies can do to be to be more honest about report outcomes. Um, and, and a couple things to think about that. One is people talk, right? The people are going to gossip. So so and if something hits the media, then everybody's going to be talking about it. So I always uh, um, uh, push on my clients and uh, to to think about how much they can say, push those boundaries, make frankly make some people at the organization uncomfortable, and so that you can control the narrative. Um, that only helps the company from both a cultural and a regulatory perspective. Um, so, but yeah, this one's real tough <laughs> for sure. So all of these elements are not something that the compliance department can do alone. I mean, you've talked about HR already, legal department. It takes really the entire organization to buy in. Aside from some support of top leadership, what else do you need to ensure that the organizational justice process works fairly and encourages a speak up culture? Yeah, cross-functional collaboration and breaking down silos is what I would hone in on here. Those are key aspects. And and, and in a shameless plug, my uh, colleague Becky Bertlis-Krepp 
um, recently wrote a white paper about how to break down silos so people can maybe take a look at that um she brought kind of her decades of experience managing ford's compliance program to the topic and she has a lot to share a couple of things uh, you know it's about building bridges and increasing trust across um you know uh, different um uh, functions at the organization you really need to get to know your colleagues on a personal level by being open and vulnerable and then also sharing information sharing resources and sharing ideas I think is is a really good way of approaching this because as you said the compliance department can't do it alone no most definitely not because compliance is really a community effort at its heart well Andrea thank you so much for taking the time to share these many insights on institutional justice with us today I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen I'm Adam Chirtletaub from SCCE and HCCA I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.